key to the success in the in the blended environment, the, the, the hybrid setup, is actually to treat everyone, every single individual, and every single thing that is happening within the team or the company as if it's remote. So even if you have 90% in the office and 10% remote, in order to succeed, everything should be tailored towards remote. There's a revolution taking place right now. Talent and intelligence are equally distributed throughout the world, but opportunity is not. The talent economy, the idea that at the center of work is the talent, is the individual. Companies today face a global war for talent. And high-skilled talent is demanding flexibility around the way they work and the way they live. This podcast brings together thought leaders, staffing experts, and top freelancers to talk about the evolving nature of work and how companies can navigate these changes to remain competitive, drive innovation, and ensure success. Welcome to the Talent Economy Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Estes. My guest today is Ivo Sapar, remote work advocate and CEO of Remote How. Described as an online campus where you meet up and grow with top remote managers from around the world, Remote How is at the forefront of helping people make the transition to remote work and is an ultimate solution for remote education, recruitment, and international employment. Remote How is working with tons of partners such as PwC, Deloitte, Consensus, Buffer, Asana, GitLab, Dribble, and many more. They are focused on helping C-suite, HR leaders, and frontline managers make the move to distributed work. Eva Shapar, Remote Work Advocate and the CEO at Remote How. I have been following your work before remote was the, the big topic given the, the current environment. Talk to me a little bit about your journey into understanding and getting excited about remote work and launching Remote How. So it's been already quite some time when we started. Like the whole journey started in 2017. I was working at a German startup, but in States, in, in Austin. And I uh, noticed firsthand that there's this humongous shift happening in the, in the workplace. On one side, we have a younger generation, but actually not only that is looking for more flexibility, more freedom of choice where the work is done. And then on the other side, I was struggling to find talent, like the talent shortage uh, was real. And I was like, okay, maybe we can connect the dots. Maybe we can make people happier by meeting their expectations while helping businesses open up to uh, both like the global talent pool, but also to, to meet the expectations of people that won't join their team because they don't offer this flexibility. Long Story short, we run a ton of studies, meetings with HR executives, C-levels, asking them, do you think that remote work could solve these challenges? And do you think this is the future? And of course, the majority of answers are like, yeah, maybe, I don't know, uh, we are afraid of that. We don't know how. So like pure, the first response was around the mindset, because this is a change and people are oftentimes afraid of change. But once we cross that, they're like, okay, maybe it could work, but actually we've never done that, uh, how it can be done. So like, okay, so we are really at the very early days before like pushing it actually to the mainstream, although we're already successful remote companies before it, but it was like tiny niche. Like, okay, we, we need to first educate the market, show the best examples, show the best practices. So companies will start getting more comfortable around this idea. So our first milestone and um, 
in 2018, we organized the Remote Future Summit, which happened to be the largest virtual conference on remote work, like fully bootstrapped, just like a crazy team of volunteers that just wanted to do something that would uh, hopefully reshape how the work is done. And, and, and we succeeded just out of the blue. We ended up with over 5,000 participants uh, from 128 countries listening to amazing speakers from like Asana, Forbes, New York Times. And then we were like, okay, <laughs> we did something uh, interesting. People really liked what uh, what we've done. It was like hours of video content that they could learn from really top top experts in the field how to make remote work work. Yeah, and that was uh, that was the foundation how we how we started remote. How we knew that education is uh, is extremely important, and then we that we need to pursue this journey. So that's why we we launched several other initiatives uh, moving forward. I can only imagine how challenging it was to have conversations with HR leaders and and C-level people, and you're asking them to take a risk. You know, they've got a business that they are responsible for. And in many ways, this seems not only like change, but there might be a risk of failure. In my experience, the hard part isn't really the C-suite or the CHROs and and the HR leaders, but it's the manager's at the front lines of having to manage that change, of having to to trust an employee that they no longer see and break that location connection. You just launched a training for managers. Help me understand at the core what that training is designed to do and, and how you're evolving these managers to support this new way of work. A very good point you made about the trust because this is the beginning where we need to first convince managers or, or they need to convince themselves that finally this moment has arrived. They need to start trusting their employees because without trust, we can implement all sorts of processes, teach them that the best soft skills and implement best tools. But at the end of the day, if they don't trust their team members, then it's basically a straight set up themselves for failure. So this mindset aspect is extremely important. And that's why we should showcase as many companies as possible that succeeded in this this model to say, okay, this works. This is not just an invention. This is not just a concept that, that we are trying to push. There are successful companies that are worth billions of dollars that have extremely happy and engaged employees because this is something that we all need to remember that studies all across the board are showing that people working remotely are simply happy. <laughs> and, and I think at the end of the day, this is what really matters. So once we have this buy-in that, hey, now it's the time to, uh, to, to trust each other, we are moving forward forward in this uh, in this journey and it's very important to to focus on the first line managers because they are the ones that are actually making making the change. So the program that we've built with multiple uh, leaders, experts from companies like Envision, Buffer, Mural, or, or, or Duis was, was focused to bring together these experts, share their best practices, how these managers can prepare and adjust their skills to fit in the remote environment, right? Then once they have this, how they actually can build a remote team, and then moving forward, how they can actually manage a remote team and all the various aspects of um, of this journey. So uh, there was this uh, this crazy idea that hey, let's get practitioners in in one place and and spread the word about their their success stories, and it worked. <laughs> it, it worked out actually uh, very very well. I'm very familiar with Buffer and 
GitLab and Automatic and TopTal and, and a lot of companies that are fully distributed. I mean, they're, they're great examples. They're great learning. In fact, you know, I moved from a location-based corporate environment to a fully distributed team. And while the transition wasn't easy, it was amazing. Like I learned new skills and, and you talk about trust and trust is so much deeper in a distributed environment because it, it has to be. Give me an example of a company that was or a manager or someone that you're working with that was on location. You know, they had a more traditional setup and they're managing a blended team. What was that process like to help them go from location-based prior to the current environment, from location-based into that blended environment where some people may be on location and some people are now remote? The key to the success in the in the blended environment, the, the hybrid setup, is actually to treat everyone, every single individual, and every single thing that is happening within the team or the company as if it's remote. So even if you have ninety percent in the office and ten percent remote, in order to succeed, everything should be tailored towards remote. Now, starting from hiring people, building processes, setting up goals, building the communication, internal, external, everything should be suited to remote because the principles of remote, and this is actually funny when we, when we are talking with, let's call them old school managers, a lot of things that remote requires from you is actually that the best practices of, of, of the management. <laughs> but in the office environment, we, we just oftentimes forget about that. So doesn't matter if the team is partially remote, partially in the office, we are all equal. We all should behave as if um, we are all remote. Just a very simple example. There is a meeting, there are five people in the room and there are two remotees um, dialing in. Of course, video is, <laughs> is of course a must, a, a best practice. So what we strongly encourage everyone to do is that everyone is dialing in from their computer. So everyone is equal and everyone is paying attention at the same level. So the one big advice to companies that would become hybrid after the, the whole COVID situation, because this will be the true moment when, when we are going from sudden all remote to hybrid model, because employees would like, would be like, okay, so I worked so much time uh, when I was at home and now I would like to also have some more flexibility. This would be the moment of truth. And my fear is that a lot of companies, because they are not prepared and because they won't prepare their managers, their HR and, and individual contributors to behave as if they are still all, all remote, they would simply set themselves up for failure. So we all need to make sure that we'll provide them with, uh, with the necessary support. For line managers, it's a it's an important time just to go back and, and look at leadership and management best practices. Now that people are working remote, the thing that I hear the most is that people feel like they're working more and that they're not able to draw the line between being at home and living and and working and it's creating anxiety and could lead to burnout. Help me understand the advice you give to people who are now working remote and need to find a new way to create that balance. The key word here is the ritual. The all best practices around making remote work work in the best possible way is to have the right rituals in place. And that also applies to 
the topic of mental health, well-being and, and burnout. We need to have rituals that would prevent us from going this in, in, into this direction. And we, we could actually take a step back and think, ask, ask ourselves why it's actually happening. Because we wanted to be always visible. We, we wanted to, to show that we are, we are working, even though we are not in the same office that our manager uh, can see us, like we are available. And, and that's why we are waking up and we see all our notifications. Then the day is over, but we still have this phone or, or a tablet or, or, or maybe a computer. And we still are at, at, in this virtual office and in this virtual mindset that, that we are still at work. So it's extremely important to know that, okay, the day is over. I've done everything what I was supposed to do. That's why it's also extremely significant from the, from the manager point of view to set clear goals and, and expectations. So the individual contributor at the end of the day knows like, okay, Everything what I was supposed to do is done. Now I can safely close my virtual office and enjoy my uh, my time off. So rituals, one of them, uh, we actually had discussed that before we went live, is to turn off uh, all your notifications. That's probably the quickest win that could be done right away. And just in general, to have the, the right workplace rituals that would help you to to have the line between your uh, your life and your work. The thing I found most helpful besides turning off every notification, so I turn off my text notifications, every notification on my phone, and then my Slack notifications. But I also have created workspaces, right? I have a, you know, a studio that we do the podcast in, and then I have an office. And those are where work happens. When I go in those places, everyone in the, the house knows, hey, Paul's working. And when I'm not in those places, I try to disconnect a little bit. There's another aspect which you brought up, which is really interesting about visibility, right? When you're, when you're in a location environment, it's important to be seen doing activity, right? Well, if I'm doing activity, then that person is working hard and they're sending emails or, or doing whatever that work is. When you go virtual, there's this feeling, or at least I felt it when I first started, that I always had to be responding in the minute, you know, because that's, that's me showing that I'm, you know, doing activity or I'm, I'm reliable or all those sort of feelings that you have. How do you tell managers to assist people in that transition from being physically present to virtually present? It all boils down to the work transparency that is uh, within the organization, because if I know in the beginning of the day or the beginning of the week what I should be working on, what are my deadlines and what I actually need to deliver, and the whole work is focused on the outcome, then it's becoming less important when I'm working on, when I'm available. It's important that I meet the deadline, the deliverable that was set by my manager. So this is kind of like one aspect to create as much as transparency and understanding who is working on what, right? So this is this is one aspect. The other one that is kind of more tied to the day-to-day -day operations, but still with, uh, with the transparency aspect, is to show when you are starting to work and then communicate what we'll be working on and then communicate when you are turning off and when you are out from your from your virtual office. And, and here you can implement a very simple um, strategy that you could uh, utilize your, your project management tools for that. We call it daily check-in and daily check-out. 
So at the beginning of the day, whatever platform for communication you're using, if it's Slack or Twist or it's just email, you're doing a short post. Hey, this is daily check-in. Those are the things that I will be working on. Those are the meetings that I would have. And then at the end of the day, you're doing checkout. So you're summarizing what, what has been done, what hasn't been done, and maybe there are some other things. So this way you communicate, I started my day, that was my plan, I ended my day, and that was what, uh, what has been delivered, right? That also helps with not being constantly available because you, you signalize when your day is over. And there is a third aspect, which is kind of an expert level and really requires the whole team or, or rather actually the, the whole company to change how you communicate is to incorporate more and more asynchronous communication. The communication that does not require an instant reply. And in this case, it's it's a bit more tricky because you need to have SLA, so service level agreements in place, like internal ones. What does it mean that if you're if I'm sending you a message with a, with a big urgent sign, that means that I need to respond within five minutes. But then if I'm just sending you a general message, then I might have four or eight hours or maybe even 24 hours um, to respond. And that really helps me as an individual contributors understand what is the urgency of this message? Do I need to respond immediately, even though I'm doing my laundry and it's 10 p.m., which I shouldn't <laughs> be responding anyway, or if this could wait? So we are coming back to rituals and we are coming back to clear understanding how the work is done. You know, one of the things that I've always, and I think I did this about five years ago, was transparently share my calendar so that people that I was working closely mm -hmm. with can see where I am, what I'm doing, where I'm blocking time, and they can have access to that. And I also block out focus time on my calendar. So I go, you know, usually two weeks out every Monday morning, I have my cup of coffee and I look two weeks out and I say, okay, here's the outcomes that I need, whether it's content work or strategy work or all, all sorts of things. And I, I make sure I time block time in that focus time. And again, shut off all my notifications and, and focus on those outcomes. And then with people that I'm working with, I do those check-ins like, hey, here are outcomes. We're still good. And, and I, I keep on that. So I think the advice of, of ritual is important. The other thing you talked about, just I wanted to put a note on is setting expectations with your team. You call them SLAs, but, you know, just setting those expectations of how we communicate, what is our cadence and what is our working rhythm. And I think in, in location environments, you don't have to be deliberate about it a lot of times, right? There's meetings and you're walking in the hallways and all that stuff in a virtual environment. Setting those expectations is critical. It's absolutely critical. And remote work requires way more work from the manager. Basically, it requires you to get on another level of, of being a leader, both from the pure processes side, but also basically you need to show more of your human face because what we haven't touched on yet is, is the whole culture aspect, how culture plays a crucial role in the remote space. Coming back to what you said about, about the time blocking, this is a very smart and very easy ritual to implement to basically 
block time on your calendar when you know that you will be working for the next two hours or that you will be working this on Monday between 10 and 12 on, on this very specific project or an outcome. And that it's not only helping you to be more productive, but it also uh, shows the team what you're working on, that um, you should not be uh, distracted at this time. So at the end of the day, we should tell the world what we are working on, be extremely transparent, but then vice versa, that the world should be very transparent to us. So <laughs> what's what's really great, besides all the positive aspects of, of remote work, is that it basically creates a better work environment, more human, where, uh, where there's trust, where we know what people expect from us. So, uh, yeah. You brought up something that I think is at the core of at least my experience when managers are, are trying to make this change is that for a period of time, it's just harder. You know, when you traditionally work your entire life and you climb the, the proverbial ladder and you get into management, it's, hey, I'm managing other people doing work. And when you move to a remote environment, it pushes against a bunch of new skills from a leadership perspective that you may have not worked out. You know, think of it as a muscle. You may have not worked these out before. In your experience, do you see that managers who lean in and and build these new muscles are able to come out and it becomes easier and it becomes more natural? Or do they just continue to struggle with it being hard for a long period of time? It really depends. But I, I, I definitely what we see is that this is a process and you cannot change things over the time. That's why, for example, our program for managers lasts for six weeks, although in theory we could run it within the couple of days. But we wanted to give people time to process, give people time to get back with questions, network with each other, ask other leaders, because there is also a, a community aspect. And there are also live sessions with experts when they can interact and ask and, and, and brainstorm stuff. So we clearly see this is a process. Some of the behaviors that you had, they need to go away. <laughs> and this, this also uh, takes some time to learn the new ones. You cannot also predict every single situation from the book. So there are some real, real case scenarios that you're, that you're just coming across while doing this shift. So definitely it's a process takes weeks, months, definitely not years. <laughs> so don't be, don't be afraid of that. But then at the end of the day, there are managers that could fail if they won't change their mindset because we can equip you with, with the best soft skills, with the best processes, with the best usage of tools, give you the best mentors. But if you won't change your mindset, this the work could be done this way and you need to adjust, then Houston, uh, we, have a, we have a problem. But so far, so good. <laughs> over 300 uh, leaders from all over the world worked with us and um, you're getting very good reviews. So uh, I, I hope that this will, uh, will stay this way. As I, as I mentioned, it's, 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 it's a learning process and, and we have actually, most of our clients were already remote some of them even for years, but they never learned the right way to do it. It was like we ran a, a report recently um, on remote managers and 92% of them were learning how to lead the distributed teams. It was a learning by doing. So it clearly shows that 
getting the best practices in, in one place and getting the, the experts to interact with each other is the best way to grow. Otherwise, you are still in a silo and, and you're figuring out stuff uh, by yourself. That's definitely not the most optimal way. Yeah, one of the things you said that I think is, is really important is the idea of mentors. I mean, in many ways, this is professional career coaching along with best practices and training. It, it really is a change management of mindset, which as you get more ingrained in the way you do things just becomes harder, right? I watch my little girls yeah. and for them to change is very easy because they're they're malleable and they're learning everything new. And then I look at me trying to change and that is just a little bit yeah. harder. One of the exciting things I want to talk about in a few months here, you're going to be having the Remote Future Summit 2020. And I'm going to assume that three months ago, it didn't have the importance for all of us as it does now. Talk to us about the conference and what you're excited about this year and how people might be able to participate. So as I mentioned in the beginning, like the Remote Future Summit says is a foundation of Remote House Project. And this annual conference is bringing top subject matter experts from, from all over the world virtually in one place for two or three days in the fully online format to, to learn the, the best practices and, and to learn from each other as, as well. So throughout last two editions, we had uh, over 8,000 people, if I'm not mistaken, 123 <laughs> speakers that were sharing their experiences. The last edition, we had tracks for, for managers, for C-level executives, as well as tracks for human resources, people operations, professionals. So we are focusing on both helping leaders manage them, build and, and manage the re remote teams. On the other side, there's also this extremely important aspect that I mentioned before on the, on the culture side. Which is, um, in my opinion, one of the one of the foundations of the success when we are talking about the remote environment. I look forward to attending the event and and sharing it with people in, in my network. Uh, we'll make sure we put the links in the show notes. If we look out into the end of 2020 and 2021, what is a piece of advice you would give to a frontline manager or an HR person who now is going to have to manage people's desire for flexibility and hybrid team structures? I could probably write a book, <laughs> but you're asking me for just one advice. Well, no, just so maybe do maybe yeah. do like three three specific things just to wrap it up. Yeah, I I would do my best to actually one general that could be applied in in many different um, aspects. Think about what kind of aspects of your business should be turned into a remote work friendly. This would be my first piece of advice. So look what would be different if, if people are interacting with each other in the, in the remote environment and then how you could uh, accommodate this, this change. Other thing which I, which I guess would be the, the most important one would be to build up and cultivate rituals and, and ongoing habits in 
all across the organization, all across different aspects of work, where everything is made in a remote work-friendly way. And what's even more important than introducing these rituals is to actually follow through and make sure that whenever we are saying, okay, every meeting uh, agenda should be written down or every internal update should be posted in, in this place, then we are making sure that this happens for the next weeks, months, and, and years. So that would be probably my, uh, my main advice to make sure that any things that we are incorporating in this new remote setup stick then we cultivate them moving forward. And actually, last but not least, if you, if you said that there could be three things, I wanted to emphasize that the fact that managers and, and also and HR leaders should put mo- more focus on the human aspect of work. They should put more emphasis on, on the engagement and the mood of their teams because you cannot see day-to-day faces of, of your of your old team members when people are remote. It's it's harder to to read between the lines. So we need to be more proactive. We need to engage more, ask questions if everything is fine, and and of course have processes around it. So it's not just happening randomly. So in general, giving more attention and and support. This would be the last message from uh, from my side moving forward to open up to strengthen the culture of the of the open feedback because this is the only way how how you can improve things or how you can react to to potential challenges that are um, that are occurring. That's great advice. Thank you so much for joining me today. I really enjoyed the conversation. And like you said, we should come back and talk about culture soon. Yes, correct. Thank you so much for having me. I'm your host, Paul Estes. Thank you for listening to the Talent Economy Podcast. Learn more about the future of work and the transformation of the staffing industry from those leading the conversation at staffing.com, where you can hear from experts, sign up for our weekly newsletter, and get access to the best industry research on the future of staffing. If you've enjoyed the conversation, we'd appreciate you rating us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, or just tell a friend about the show. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of The Talent Economy. 